0: Robertson welcoming you to tonight's edition of TV Confidential, a radio talk show about television that was raised on country sunshine. Tim Hollis will join us in our second hour. Tim is the author of Part of a Complete... Breakfast. A comprehensive look at the history of breakfast cereal commercials from the 50s, 60s, and 70s when savvy advertisers recognized that the then new medium of television was a very effective way to sell lots and lots of cereal to kids of the baby boomer generation. Tim's book walks you through the origins of such popular characters as Cap'n Crunch, Lucky the Leprechaun, Sugar Bear, Snap, Crackle, and Pop, and a whole lot more. More That is coming up in our second hour. In the meantime, and speaking of savvy advertisers, we're going to spend part of this hour talking about a product that has used television, and for that matter, print and radio, very effectively throughout its history, that product being Coca-Cola. What began as a medicinal product in 1886 gradually evolved into a refreshment beverage that not only became the dominant consumer product in the United States, throughout the 20th century, but in many respects came to be identified with America itself. Joining us now is Mark Pendergrast. Mark is the author of eight books, including For God, Country, and Coca-Cola, the definitive history of the great American soft drink and the company that makes it. Originally published in 1993, Mark's book was not only revised and updated with new information on the history and future of Coca-Cola, but actually includes the secret formula of Coca-Cola itself. We will tell you where you can find Mark's book in just a second. But first, Mark Pendergrass, welcome to TV Confidential.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: We mentioned in the open that Coca-Cola originally began as a medicinal product. How did it evolve into a refreshment drink?
1: Well, it was actually both simultaneously to begin with. It was primarily, uh, arguably, a patent medicine. It was supposed to cure a mythical disease called neurasthenia. The idea was that you had depleted nervous energy if you were a high-power businessman or a sensitive uh, housewife, and you needed a pick-me-up with some sort of drug in it. So there were all these nerve tonics that did that, and Coca-Cola was supposed to cure Hangovers and headaches, and it was also supposed to be an aphrodisiac. It did, you know, it cured whatever ailed you. But it also was, from the very beginning, uh, described as delicious and refreshing, and it was sold, uh, at soda fountains. So it, it was really both.
2: What happened was that
1: by the middle of the 1890s, various consumers, primarily women, were, uh, writing to the company or asking the company, to please stop advertising it primarily as a medicine because they didn't want to have to be sick to drink it. They liked it. And so they began to move towards uh, the more refreshing beverage aspect and and drop the medicine. The other thing that happened was that cocaine, uh, which was one of the ingredients in Coca-Cola, became persona non grata, so to speak. People began to realize that it was not, not a great drug. So by the turn of the century, there was a lot of pressure for them to think that out, and there were some other reasons involving the uh, Spanish-American War, because the uh, U.S. government was uh, trying to tax uh, Coca-Cola as a medicine, whereas soft drinks were not taxed. So Coke uh, sued and said, no, 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 we're, we're just a soft drink, we're not a medicine
0: stupid question there was originally cocaine in the product was it uh, white powder cocaine or was it the coca leaf
1: no 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 it's a very important distinction it was the natural constituent of the coca leaf they imported coca leaf from peru and as they still do and they made fluid extract of coca leaf they never uh, added white powder as the company uh... the company says oh uh, coca-cola never contained cocaine which is clearly not true but it never contained a white powder that they added. It was just a natural constituent. And it was a very small amount. And yet,
0: if you drank enough of that very small uh, amount, you could get, maybe not high, but you can get you can certainly get a good buzz.
1: I think you could get high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were people who drank, you know, six or seven of these things straight. And it had twice as much caffeine uh, as it does now. So you would... Definitely have it affect you. Um,
0: You mentioned that Coca-Cola was originally sold uh, at soda fountains. I guess you would say over-the-counter, literally, at soda fountains. How did Coca-Cola come to be bottled?
1: Well, it's an interesting story. These two lawyers went to Asa Candler, who was the guy who really made Coke big after the inventor, John Pemberton, died uh, two years after having invented it. He he never made much money off of it, but Candler made a, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and these... Uh, two lawyers from Chattanooga came and said we would like to bottle it and Candler said no, uh, I don't want it bottled I don't think it would stay bottled very well they tend to leak and I want a really high class drink and I'm doing fine thank you very much and they finally convinced him to uh, let them try to bottle it and he wrote a contract with them where he gave them the bottling rights for pretty much the entire country for free <laughs> uh, as long as they used his syrup, Mm -hmm. and he figured he had nothing to lose, he wasn't going to, you know, have any skin in the game, and if they succeeded, he'd sell more syrup. Well, they did succeed very hugely and set up this franchise system that made many, many, many people millionaires all over the country, but because the contract had not allowed for any price increase when the price of sugar, which was the primary expensive ingredient in the drink... When that went up, uh, it ended up causing a lot of friction between the bottlers and the company for many, many years and caused a lot of lawsuits, et cetera. And finally, the company's pretty much bought out uh, most of the bottlers in the United States.
0: So, that uh, going back just a little bit, if I understand it correctly, uh, when you talk about the deal that Candler made, where he, where he more or less gave away the bottling rights, that explains why the Coca Cola bottling company and coca-cola itself are separate entities correct
1: well they have been separate entities for a long time just a couple of years ago uh, coca-cola finally bought out what was then called coca-cola enterprises the Mm -hmm. biggest bottler in the united states it also owned parts of europe and coke left that so coca-cola enterprises is now in europe only but coke now owns the bottlers outright most of them in the united states And they have a major portion of many other bottlers. Uh, They own, you know, 30 to 49% of many bottlers around the world.
0: We're talking to Mark Pendergrass. Mark is the author of For God, Country, and Coca-Cola, an epic-length history of the great American soft drink that was recently updated as a revised third edition through basic books. You can find For God, Country, and Coca-Cola in bookstores, everywhere, as well as Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble.com, and wherever books are sold online. Mark, how did Coca-Cola come to be marketed as a refreshment drink?
1: Well, as I said, they, they started it that way, uh, but they began to really focus on it uh, around the turn of the century. Uh, when Robert Woodruff took over the company, which was in the 1920s, He forbade them to use any kind of negative advertising. They had been doing a lot of defensive advertising, saying, well, it's not bad for you. Please don't call it dope, which is what people called for it for. (laughs) Um, But this was the age of beautiful print advertising in Saturday Evening Post, Ladies Home Journal, places like that and they hired uh, Norman Rockwell and N.C. Wyeth and Hedden Sunblom and some really wonderful artists to do very gracious ads uh, with the theme of the pause that refreshes. Coca-Cola is just this nice little thing that you can do for yourself, and for only a nickel, you can, during the Depression era, uh, do something nice for yourself. So while other uh, consumer products weren't doing too well, Coca-Cola did quite well indeed um, during the Depression era. It's interesting. I mean, I assume you're interested a lot in in the marketing aspects because this does eventually lead up to television, but Coke, you know, was a pioneer in radio Mm -hmm. for that. But Woodruff always insisted that, you know, you you couldn't have any uh, crass. You know, he didn't really like jazz very much. He preferred Andre Castellanos and his little orchestra he didn't want overtly sexual approaches, but he liked very wholesome, uh, nice-looking uh, women who were sexy, but not you know, Marilyn Monroe, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this, this, this goes back to something you just said a few minutes ago when uh, you said Woodruff wanted to do, a, do away with defensive marketing. Um, in, in today's parlance, you would say that he rebranded Coca-Cola, by, um, you know, marketing it as, you know, not only uplifting, but in many respects, all American.
1: Well, that's right. Few people know this, but in 1911, uh, the U.S. government sued Coca-Cola, saying that it was misbranded uh, and that it had this evil uh, ingredient, caffeine, that should not be uh, sold to children. So as a result of that lawsuit, Coca-Cola stopped showing children under the age of 12 in any of their advertising drinking the uh, beverage, and they still hold to that. That's one of the reasons why they came up with Santa Claus as uh, a great Coca-Cola drinker to appeal to children without showing the children in the ads. But under Woodruff, he deliberately wanted it to be an all-American patriotic drink, to be a symbol of America, so that by 1938, uh, an editor said that Coca-Cola was the sublimated essence of of uh, America, and by the time World War II came around, the same drink that had been banned on army bases 30 years before was now considered an essential product to boost the morale of the troops. I mean, it was an unbelievable thing that happened during World War II.
0: And fast forward, what, four decades, uh, Coca-Cola went from being the sublimated drink of America to very much um, the drink of America when you, when, when you factor in the reaction when New Coke came along and, and the, the emotional and psychological response people had to the original product.
1: Well, that's right. After Woodruff had done such an incredibly good job of uh, making Coca-Cola the symbol of a way of life, that when they changed the formula, which coincidentally was just after Woodruff died at the age of 95, everybody went nuts. The the company had good reason to change the formula because it was losing to Pepsi, and they had done blind taste tests, and the Pepsi challenge uh, was true to their horror that a little over 50% of the people would preferred the taste of Pepsi. So they came up with a formula that beat Pepsi. What they had not reckoned on was that it didn't really matter that much what it tasted like. 49% of the people preferred, and I, frankly, preferred the snappy, uh, more acidic taste with a little more fizz, less sweet uh, than Pepsi. But, but what really happened was the idea of changing this time-honored drink uh was just horrific to people, and they wrote letters to the company basically acting as if they had killed God uh, <laughs> or a family member. Uh, I mean, it was really unbelievable that for a drink that is primarily sugar water, uh, people had that much feeling, but they did. And after three months, the company finally gave in and brought back old Coke, and new Coke gradually dwindled and then ceased to exist.
0: We're talking to Mark Pendergrass. Mark is the author for God, Country, and Coca Cola, an epic length history of the great American soft drink that was recently updated and revised as a third edition through basic books. You can find for God, Country, and Coca Cola in bookstores everywhere, as well as Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com, wherever books are sold online. For more information on Mark Pendergrass, go to Mark's website, which is markpendergrass.com. Dot com, but And if you go to markpendergrass.com, you not only learn uh, more about uh, For God, Country, and Coca-Cola, but you'll learn uh, about some of Mark's other books that he has published, one of which is called Uncommon Ground, which is a comprehensive history of coffee and its uh, its role in American culture. So there must be something about that evil caffeine that strikes you, Mark.
1: Well, I, I think most people in America are addicted to caffeine, one way or another, <laughs> uh, including me. Uh,
0: <laughs> including <but> me, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah,
1: the good news is that it's actually uh, getting more and more uh, good news from uh, epidemiologists. Uh, apparently, caffeine is good for you in many ways. They used to think it stunted your growth and was terrible. It is addictive. And you will have headaches if you stop having it. But aside from that, it appears that it's not so bad for you. And in fact, it can help uh, in various ways. So,
0: well, like anything else, caffeine can be good for you in moderation. It's like it's, it's like any it's like any food or drink one consumes. Most health experts will say that you know moderation is the key. But this brings up another point that kind of touches on one of the things that you go into in great detail. In the, in the expanded revised third edition of For God, Country, and Coca-Cola, and that's the whole obesity epidemic. It is kind of ironic that a product that began as a so-called municipal product is, is, is under fire for causing obesity.
1: That's right, and it's under fire for a pretty good reason, especially uh, young teenage boys tend to uh, drink a lot of uh, sugary uh, soft drinks, whether it's Coca-Cola or... Uh, Mountain Dew or other things like that and it contributes greatly to the obesity epidemic. Now certainly you can't blame just Coca-Cola or soft drinks for it it's the total number of calories that that you consume and Mm -hmm. it's the fact that people are sitting in front of their computer Mm -hmm. terminals instead of playing outside things like that Um, but it is is a problem and uh, the uh, per capita consumption for sugary soft drinks peaked in 1998 and has been going down uh, since then. So Koch has reacted uh, just this year by coming out with commercials claiming to be part of the solution for the uh, obesity epidemic rather than uh, part of the problem, and it's pretty convincing in a lot of ways. They pay for a lot of exercise programs uh, for children all over the world, they have substantially uh, reduce the amount of sugar that children get because they've taken all of their sugary drinks out of schools, quote, voluntarily. In fact, they were forced to do that sort of at the point of a gun, um, but they did do it. What I criticize them for is that they fight very hard against any kind of tax on sugary soft drinks when I think they should, in fact, uh, be supporting them. Because the, the way that you really are going to reduce consumption is, is with a tax. You can see that with cigarettes.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, such so as the type of tax that uh, uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg enacted in, in New York last year with, uh, with regard to the sale of large uh-huh. soft drinks. Well,
1: actually, no, he could not enact a tax. He tr- tried for a few years. Coke is very good with uh, pouring money into lobbyists To kill all these taxes. So what Bloomberg did was to do what he thought he could do without a tax. He got the, uh, the city health commissioner, the health board, to, uh, put a limit on the amount, the size of, of, uh, drinks that could be, uh, purchased. And that didn't even cover places like 7-Eleven, but they got, they got Turned down on that too by the courts, so uh, it's been a a losing battle for Bloomberg and his uh, cohort there.
0: I keep wanting to say big Coke because I'm thinking of big tobacco because there are a lot of parallels between uh, you know Coca-Cola's reaction to the obesity epidemic and uh, the the tobacco industry's reaction to you know smoking and its effect on on one's health. And it seems to me, Mark, and you tell me if I'm missing this, it's. It's, it's kind of a catch 22 for Coca Cola, and that, you know, I mean, at least from the way their vantage point, they don't want to outright say they're part of the problem because they're afraid that's bad for their image and ultimately bad for
1: business. Well, they pretty much have admitted that they are part of the problem with this uh, new ad series. Uh, it's called Coming Together. If, if people Google Coming Together and Coca Cola or look at it on YouTube, you, you can see what I'm talking about. But they minimize it and they say what well, I just said. It's it's just a part of the problem, not the whole problem, and don't don't blame us. And, and you know, drink in moderation and, and all kinds of reasonable things. So I have no argument with any of that. What I argue about is is their stance against the taxes. Yeah. Um, and they continue to do very effective advertising. Uh, they don't do it on kitty shows but they do it on shows that a lot of uh, young people watch. And, you know, they're they masterful uh, at, at advertising. And nowadays, they've become masters at social media as well. The Coca-Cola Facebook page, which the company didn't even start, now has something like you know, 30 or 40 million fans. Uh, it's just unbelievable. So it, it continues to mean a lot to people. But now they've got Diet Coke And Coke Zero, which they came up with a few years ago, which is the real Coca-Cola formula with uh, artificial sweeteners. And I think that in the next few years, these diet colas will probably combined have a larger uh, market than than, uh, regular Coke. So
0: I guess just to wrap up the point on on, on obesity, uh, I guess Coke's position is, uh, yes, we're part of the problem, uh, we're doing something about it, but still, you know, grab a Coke and a smile.
1: (laughs) Yes. Absolutely, or grab a Coke product and a smile. <laughs> Coca-Cola now makes 3,500 different drinks around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them are you know, things like vitamin water or uh, just plain water, a Dasani. Uh, and about a quarter of them are now low-calorie or no-calorie drinks. So they've seen the writing on the wall. They're trying to accommodate... Uh, and they are doing quite well indeed. Thank you.
0: Yes. And, and, and again, and we're going to talk about some of their television marketing in just a second. But first, a reminder that we are talking to Mark Pendergrass. Mark is the author for God, Country, and Coca-Cola, an epic-length history of the great American soft drink. We're going to pause for a refreshment, then we'll continue our conversation with Mark Pendergrass here on TV Confidential.
3: It's a real thing.
0: Ed Robertson, hoping you're enjoying this encore presentation of TV Confidential. We'll be back with a brand new edition of the program next week.
3: Attention, this important consumer alert is brought to you by the Structured Settlement Cash Hotline. Did you know it's possible to receive upfront money in one large payment from your Structured Settlement? Yes, you can. If you're receiving a structured settlement spread out over time and you want to access your money today, call us. It's your future cash. Why not put it in your hands today? Don't wait any longer. This is the best solution if you need money to pay your bills or even help a family member who's been affected during this global time of crisis. Everyone needs a little money right now, and our hotline is here for you. If you have a structured settlement where you're getting money spread out over time and you want it faster, Call now. This simple 10-minute call can get your money now. The call is free, and it costs you nothing. 800-965-7987. 800-965-7987. 800-965-7987. That's
0: 800-965-7987. You can now purchase t-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential, cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential.
2: Story Salon is Los Angeles' longest-running storytelling venue. We have live shows every Wednesday in Studio City, as well as solo shows, podcasts, CDs, and several books. Los Angeles Daily News calls Story Salon... Gemstones of narrative, something new, funny, astonishing. Sunset Magazine says, tales tall, tragic, and tantalizing. All of this makes Story Salon one of the most eclectic entertainment experiences available. You can learn more about us by going to our Facebook page or by visiting our website at www.storysalon.com.
3: accredited by guinness world records welcome to archival television audio incorporated a peerless tv soundtrack archive preserving the audio from television's first three decades the 1950s 60s and 70s the golden and silver age of television for more information go to
1: atvaudio.com
0: be part of our conversation if you like what you hear